0: Am I the first interviewee? You are.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah,
0: we're going to do this. It's going to be a rough ride.
1: Oh, God. Yeah. All but, right, we'll try it. I, I'm going to sound dumb. <laughs> no, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Do you have, like, a list of questions?
0: No, I, I thought about writing a list, and then I was like, you know what? I, I should be able to come up with enough questions off the top of my head, you know?
1: I hope I can come up with answers off I'm, the top I'm gonna of my s- head.
0: I'm going to start it pretty common like easy and then just kind of build and see where we go I hope I don't
1: choke I don't think
0: you'll choke buddy I'm gonna choke I don't think you're gonna choke you know you'll be fine you'll be fine
1: I'm nervous don't be nervous don't be nervous I'm gonna accidentally shit talk and then I'm gonna have to
0: no don't worry about that (laughs) Hello, everyone. Welcome to Harsh Truths Podcast. This is our first episode, so let's get some formalities out of the way. Uh, if you're listening you don't know who I am, my name is Roman Leva, and I make noise. Uh, because I make noise, I'm privy to a fascinating underground that's filled with a lot of fascinating individuals, uh, many of whom I've had the pleasure of becoming close friends with over the years. When I first started making noise, I'd come from the hardcore punk scene, and uh, this was a place where that kind of primal catharsis and the uh, emphasis on sincerity and energy over traditional musical training really took precedent. Uh, Once I was drawn in and performing and interacting with everyone, I realized quickly that a lot of these folks had incredible stories to tell, but you know, by the nature of what a lot of us do when we perform, those stories aren't always on the surface. So what I really want to do with this podcast is bring those stories and those people to you, the listener. If you're like me, You probably have tape racks filled with these artists, and you've probably had a chance to sit down and talk with them a little bit, but chances are you haven't had a chance to really dig into their story, what brought them into the noise scene, and what keeps them going, and uh, that's what we're going to try to do here. Our first guest is Matt Reese, otherwise known as developer from Dayton, Ohio. Uh, This interview and a lot of these first episodes were recorded a well over a year ago at the Milwaukee Noise Fest 2015. You know, I want to apologize in advance for any quality issues. I'm still learning how to properly use recording equipment. Uh, If any of you ever see me play live, you know I usually just start smashing distortion pedals and figure it'll all work out in the end. Uh, I really want to thank Jay from Bull Art for loaning equipment, giving general production guidance, and and, and just really helping me in this process. I'll get uh, some more plugs in at the end of the episode, but for now, let's get started. Okay, so I'm here, day three of Milwaukee Noise Fest. It's a lovely day in September, and my guest today is uh, Matt Reese of Developer, Factotum Tapes. Uh, He's performing this evening, and I managed to grab him a little bit before he plays. Uh, We're going to have a little discussion here. So Matt, you're from Dayton, right? Yes. Did you grow up in Dayton?
1: Uh, I did basically grow up in Dayton. Uh, My parents got divorced when I was young, and my dad stayed in Dayton, and my mom moved out to the sticks. So my childhood was pretty much just bouncing back and forth between the middle of nowhere and Dayton.
0: Okay, so middle of nowhere, the middle of nowhere. Uh, Yeah. So uh, Ohio, I take it middle of sticks, Ohio. Okay. And uh, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? Uh, 36. 36. When did your parents divorce?
1: Um, I don't actually know the year that they. Divorced. I have a shit timeline. I don't remember okay. dates very well, but they were separated before I ever actually remember them being together at all.
0: Oh, okay, okay. And did you live with your mom or your dad primarily growing up?
1: Uh, my mom primarily in the sticks. But okay. um, like I said, like almost the entire summer I would be in Dayton, and then you know oh, every other yeah. weekend, holidays, stuff like that.
0: Cool. Uh, when did you first? Uh, when were you first exposed to the noise? Uh... let
1: me see. I saw Nirvana open uh, play at Hare Arena, and the boredoms opened. Um, but I, I feel like that wasn't actually my first like exposure to noise. Honestly, me and a couple of friends read a lot about noise and were super interested in noise and actually kind of started to make our own noise before any of us were ever actually able to get our hands on real. <laughs> like, somebody else's real noise or whatever. Right. Um, but it would have been uh, pretty early 90s, because, like, the first recordings I have of myself are, like, 93 or 95 or something like that, wow. somewhere in there. Okay.
0: Um, so let's see. What? Well, I guess what, what form of music did you, like, latch on to? Because most, most everybody, you know, in, in their early teens or even, you know, 10, 11, 12 find some kind of music that they're like this this relates to me
1: yeah yeah um my dad had sort of a weird record collection he had he had a couple of uh little oddball records in there and uh i was always sort of obsessed with them more than than normal stuff that he had uh he had this one paul horn record uh called inside that was like recorded in the taj mahal and it's just a flute it's like big reverberations and stuff like that so i feel like from an early age i was kind of like i got interested in like sound more than music or whatever um what was the initial question actually again
0: (laughs) i I guess i was just saying like at this you know you were drawn to a certain kind of music oh right 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 Um,
1: like uh you know like anybody my age essentially uh when, like, grunge or alternative rock happened, it, like, opened a lot of doors as far as, like, the accessibility of actually finding other things. Uh, living in, like, small town Ohio, there wasn't a lot of, like, uh, interesting spots <laughs> to find interesting things or whatever. So, uh, basically, my first, like, real, I think, loves or whatever was, like, uh, like noise rock, like, 90s noise rock stuff uh, and, like industrial music like the cheesy aggro kind
0: right, right. <laughs> so you had a couple friends that you started started experimenting even before you were kind of uh, aware of of a noise music alternative underground experimental scene
1: we were basically like aware of it we just weren't able because we were all poor and stuff so we didn't like we like uh me and a couple of friends actually even had like a bunch of different catalogs and stuff. Like, I had RRR catalogs, like, way before I ever actually bought anything from RRR. Um, But we would just, like, obsess over them, like, circle things we wanted or, like, highlight stuff we wanted or whatever. But uh, a relapse was probably the biggest opening for, like, us as far as, like, being able to actually find stuff was when... Relapse started that other, the side label release or whatever, and right. did, like, the Masana and Merz bow and stuff. And then you could actually kind of find that, like, possibly in a store. Like, right. we had, like, a metal store in New Carlisle, which is outside of Dayton, that was, uh, like, had crust and grind and, like, you know, all that stuff. And um, there was a guy there uh, named Terry Means who uh, is sort of like a Dayton – staple uh in in tons of bands he was in 23rd chapter back in the day if you remember 23rd chapter Uh, he was in pawn before that um he was actually he's currently in a band with uh the bass player from footbinder um so whatever he's uh but he was like he uh he didn't own the store but he kind of ran the store and so uh He's a big head, so he was like, "Ah, oh, I'm gonna start stocking noise because now Relapse has it available or whatever, you know." So that was the first physical place where we actually were like, able to like, "Oh, here is a noise record," you know what I mean? <laughs> like, right. as opposed to just being like, "Oh, here in this magazine, there's there's this review for something, but I'll never find that." Right. <laughs> this right. was all like pre-internet, and whatnot, of course, or like yeah. the internet just starting <laughs> to be like a thing as far as like normal people,
0: right? That's So it's interesting because uh, I, I kind of grew up in a lower-income family myself, and I do remember looking at all, like the JCPenney catalog and just circling things that looked cool or sounded cool, and, and that was almost as good as having it because in my mind, I could just... I, I remember specifically getting... Uh, at my elementary school library, they had BMX Plus Magazine, and uh, they... After a month or two, they would just put them up for people to take, you know, kids to take and read at mm-hmm. home or whatever. And I just remember, like, staring at these bikes that I can never get. But it meant a lot to me in my mind just to think about uh, about having that bicycle.
1: I totally understand that. I feel like most poor kids probably had the catalog moments. Right. You know, like, especially, like, at Christmas, you know, when, like, all the Christmas ads would come out and they would be like, all the toys R us shit that you knew you weren't getting <laughs> right, <laughs> but, right. but you could circle it and look at it and be like if I had these g i Joe's <laughs> <laughs> totally um
0: so you started making noise with your friends early on what when, when when would that have been around you
1: know? uh, like i said the i we were always all of us were always weird about like we need to record stuff all the time, so mm-hmm. like we found different means um but, my earliest recordings I think that I have are somewhere between ninety three ninety two ninety three ninety four something okay. like that.
0: Um, what were you doing on those recordings was it was it all uh,
1: immediately like cut up and oh God no um I actually got really, really into um, uh, a movement that happened during that time that was called the isolationism movement okay it was like uh, Lull and Nall, uh, Thomas Coner, uh, Final. Most of these things were side projects of other people's. Like Final was uh, Justin Broderick from Godflesh. Okay. Uh, Lull was Mick Harris from Napalm Death and Scorn. Uh, Nall was just K.K. Nall from Zenagava. Um, okay. But it was all just like it was actually basically just Drone. It's just okay. Drone. But it was like. I don't know, interesting, kind of pretty, whatever, like I feel like a lot of drone stuff now is kinda gets boring. Right. But uh I was really into that stuff. So like uh so yeah, like my first influences were essentially like Masana, Merzbao, and Hanadarash, and then it just kinda moved right into like me being obsessed with this like isolation movement for a while. So I like was doing a lot of drone stuff, which is kind of what eventually I think evolved into what I first started doing with Teeth Collection. Okay. It was like drone kind of whatever. Right. Um,
0: what were you using back then? You
1: know? um, A lot of borrowed stuff at the time. Um, we had a friend back in the day that had like a pedal board. Like he played guitar. I mean, honestly, he just kind of dicked around, but he had a pedal board. Right. Uh, so we would borrow his pedal board. Uh, I used to be in like all these hardcore bands and, and like metal, metal-ish whatever bands or whatever. And, um, So anybody in the band that had any kind of stuff, I would try to borrow and use. Uh, And then, like, a lot of people that were in the band, that band, um, I think every one of us had, like, a noise project, basically. We were, like, all obsessed with neurosis, and, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) like, they had the tribes of Neurot thing, so, like, all of us had side projects or whatever. I don't know. So, yeah, that was, like... I don't know, like, 90... That was late 90s or whatever. I graduated in 97, so... That was that was pretty much around that era, I guess.
0: Okay. And so, when did Teeth Collection start?
1: Teeth Collection didn't start till way later, actually. Um, okay. Basically, I did stuff with my friends, and I did uh, I did stuff under the name... Let me see, what was the original one? I had a name called Omber for a while, which was like... Amber just spelled dumb because I was a kid and I thought that was cool at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, and I was into the like the droney stuff and I don't know I just thought it like fit with all the other things that were going on at the time, um, and uh, I so I did that stuff more like like without knowing anything and then. Uh, All the band stuff, you know, got to be like more of the focus. So I like just kind of did stuff in my room and stuff. So I didn't really have a focus with it at all. It was just stuff that I would do on the side. Um, And I mean, even having a a moniker for the first thing was like pointless because like the other guys in the band were the only people that ever heard anything I did. You know? Okay.
0: Yeah. So you weren't playing shows or? No, no, no. Like we would do
1: noise parts with the band and stuff, Mm -hmm. but like as far as like shows and stuff, like no, no, no. There was nothing for that like our band being like as as kind of weird as we were like you know people didn't really care you know it was like no one was into that you know
0: yeah i mean dayton has a especially for punk has a very specific history that didn't seem to preclude a lot of uh yeah experimental music a lot of
1: hardcore bands that were just hardcore bands and then like I guess, like, around that time that I was, like, graduating high school and, like, my bands actually started, the bands I was in started to actually do stuff, and, and it was, like, metal, the original flow of metalcore was the thing, so it was, like, right. Converge and Botch and all that shit, so, mm-hmm. like, so, like, getting getting a little experimental started to be, get a little cool, but, like, we were just too weird for people, and, and uh, honestly, like, the musicianship in the band wasn't wasn't always the greatest you know like we evolved a bunch here and there but you know whatever (laughs) um but yeah so uh i did that stuff like i did i was in bands i mean this is all over the place i'm sorry um so did band stuff and then after uh i mean i was kind of always in bands or whatever but i guess actually being in like rock bands kind of stopped i uh I kind of got sick of being in bands, and, like, I booked a lot of shows back then and stuff, so I kind of got burnt out. And then um, I started doing, like, solo shows, doing noise, like, solo sets. Um, and there was, like, there was, like, one or two bands in Dayton that were, like... Essentially, they were just cool with me, so they would let me, like, do little sets on their bills and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know that anybody enjoyed it, but I would just come up with, like, goofy names, like, basically... Name wise, it was like Emil biolio like worship, because I would just come up with these like. Um, one was Alistair Huskaverna. I played, a, I played like a couple shows under that, so that's like Alistair Crowley and a motorcycle. Like nice. it's just stupid, goofy shit. Um, and then um, I started, I started using the name Yes Collapse, and we played one or two shows before it actually really became like a real thing. Um, and then, like, Dan Reiser had had moved to town, or whatever, and me and him and another guy essentially, like, gelled into what became Yes Collapse, and we played, I don't know, a bunch of shows, put out some stuff, whatever. So that was, like, the first... Yes Collapse was actually the first, like, noise thing I was doing that actually had some involvement with the actual noise community. Okay. Because before that, it was just, like, isolated dicking off, essentially. Right so what what year would that be? been like oh shit uh 2000 2001 maybe okay. something like that uh, okay yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe later than that I'm kind of horrible with years that's okay no I'm just
0: I'm just trying to get a like a uh, uh, a, yeah. a general sense of how long you were just sort of it, gestating doing, yeah gestating is a perfect word for it actually so you had Yes Collapse, and then, how, and then uh, how long did you say that was, a couple of years? Or?
1: Uh, I feel like Yes Collapse was a couple of years, but I, it probably was only like two years. Okay. But in my mind, it seemed like it lasted much longer than that, but I don't think it did.
0: And that was with multiple people, right? Uh,
1: Dan Reiser, who went on to do uh, Budweiser Sprite and Glom, right. uh, he moved to Portland after we broke up or whatever. And uh, Josh Fink, who used to do Plasmic Formation, he just doesn't do anything now. Okay. Um, yeah, so... And then basically when that kind of fell apart... Actually, at one point in time, before, before uh, we whittled it down to the three people, uh, Jason Watkins from Mouth of the Architect was actually in the band for That's a while. That's interesting. Um, but... Um, uh, yeah, so basically the deal was with that <laughs> was that he didn't want to practice because he was like, it's just noise. Mm-hmm. And we were all like, kind of does, does
0: Does you cupping your hands means... over the microphone mean that it's off the record? <laughs> I don't know. Because it didn't change how the microphone picked it up at all. Uh,
1: yeah, fuck it. It's on the record. I don't care. So Jason basically uh... He just kind of didn't really work out because we had started to, like, practice and and, kind of form into something. Okay. And uh, it just kind of didn't work out. But, uh, yeah, so that's just a little footnote. Who cares? But, anyway, um, (laughs) when we broke up, we basically uh, broke up because Dan was going to move. And uh, so Dan moved to Portland. We broke up. And then I started teeth collection like a little while before he moved, before we broke up, because I knew he was moving or whatever, so I kind of was like, Well, you know, need to focus on something else. And the first the first like handful of teeth collection tapes were kind of all over the place. And there was actually some stuff in that the early teeth collection stuff that, that really is kind of like developer. It's okay. it's kind of chopped up. Okay. Um, maybe to a slightly lesser extent, and the sound quality and recordings aren't quite as good because I didn't know what I was doing as as uh, as well as I do now, I guess or whatever. But yeah, yeah.
0: Teeth yeah. collections started two thousand two, two thousand three. I think so. Okay, I'm sure. gonna say yes.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. And so that
1: yeah, that mean, would make sense because I mean you the, did that
0: product for a while.
1: I did do it for a while. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there were some little offshoots and side projects here and there, but I did kind of do that for a long time Uh, and changed quite a bit, too. Like I said, when I started out, I kind of didn't have a direction for it. Mm -hmm. And then um, I kind of, for whatever reason, uh, really got stoked on, like, doing droney stuff because, uh, I don't know, I kind of felt like I was doing... This might sound pompous as shit, really, but, like, I kind of felt like I was doing something a little more interesting with drone, whereas I felt like a lot of drone was just, like, here's a drone. You know, kind of like how... Like, some harsh noise wall is... Yeah.
0: You know,
1: it's just, like, okay, I get it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so, like, I just tried to have a lot more ebb and flow, I
0: mm-hmm. felt,
1: but I don't know whether or not I was really doing that or if I just thought that. Um... <laughs>
0: When did Factotum start? Or when did you start putting out your own material? Or?
1: Um, well, first, before I started Factotum, when I was doing Yes Collapse, uh, I started Episcene uh, Sound Systems, which was a. Um, we were kind of more like a. I guess brutal prog, I guess was the term that was getting thrown around at the time. We were sort of a brutal prog label, mm-hmm. which was like, uh, you know, bands like Flying Luttenbacher and stuff like okay. that. You know, uh, which we did a. We did a 10-inch for Weasel. Uh, it was Weasel and Mick from Orthrealm and Sam from Z's, 10-inch uh, or whatever. Okay. Um, but we did stuff like that, Upsilina Crux, Behold the Octopus, the Walter Barhilmer 10-inch. Uh, um, it's really sweet noise rock band, uh, kind of post-hardcore band called Carry On. We did that CD for them. Okay. Um, but the more and more... Uh, you know, we, we got involved as Yes Collapse with, like, the actual noise team and stuff. Like, the more it kind of, like, was, like, uh, it sort of made more sense for us to be, like, focusing more on noise than it did putting out LPs of, mm-hmm. of these other bands that kind of weren't connected to it, you know, or whatever. So we started this side thing doing tapes and stuff called ESR, which was Episcene Sound Replica. Um, and, uh... Wow... Well, I put out, basically, we started Episcene Sound Replica, we did a little bit, Dan moved away, Episcene kind of folded, but ESR sort of stayed around for a little while, and um, I think, honestly, I think I did like 150 releases or something like that on on Episcene. Um, And then, like, I had a, a life falling apart moment and uh was just like I don't want to do this anymore kind of thing and folded it and mm-hmm. then uh quickly realized after I folded it I was like oh I, I do want to actually do this <laughs> so uh so I started factotum with the idea of it being more focused and having like uh being a bit more streamlined um though I feel like I've only recently really gotten like the label to like really have a real aesthetic that like fits it and everything um because now i'm using like black and white art stuff that i do myself whereas before i was using a lot of color photography that a friend of mine did um and i don't know i I don't always think that maybe those that stuff didn't always work as well as it you know whatever i don't know i just think it looks the black and white stuff looks better yeah whatever
0: i mean i'm a big fan of the black and white yeah yeah me
1: too I mean, like, I don't know if it was, like, a a lack of self-confidence or something that I didn't use my own stuff at first, Mm -hmm. but, uh, I don't know, I just kept trying to use his stuff, and then eventually, I would slowly put, like, a thing or two out where I used my own artwork, and then, I don't know, eventually, I guess I was just like, well, I don't know why I'm not just doing this myself,
0: Yeah. so. Do you, are you firmly entrenched in doing it black and white now?
1: Uh, I think I am, actually.
0: I, I... I noticed recently that I tend to only do black and white and it was when I was doing uh, the double cassette that it's almost all in color. I realized I never work with color and I was trying to think of why and I think it's just because I never was able to justify spending money on color printing. (laughs) And, you know, I'm able to do it now for free because of where I work. But, you know, I think I, I... I was thinking about how I generally when i see a color release i i kind of side-eye it like i don't know that's they could afford to do that it's probably not got as much heart as some spray-painted black and white piece of shit uh, but yeah I, I i totally think that my my attraction to the aesthetic is partially motivated by the economics of you know it's 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 cheaper, and in and, and that way, it feels more accessible than me.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So, Factotum. Yeah. Is that from Bukowski?
1: Totally. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. A big uh, fan of Bukowski? 100% my favorite writer. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's great. <laughs> he's, a, he's a fascinating writer, for sure.
1: Yeah. Um, Bukowski actually always kind of uh, reminded me of a massively exaggerated version of my father. Okay. Um, Like, sans all the womanizing, okay. uh, my, that was kind of my dad. Like, he was, like, sort of like a super depressed drunk. Hmm. I mean, functioning alcoholic, but, you know, just extreme depression and, and not dealt with. Okay. Basically.
0: Was that really apparent, like, when you were growing up? or?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't,
0: yeah. like, a, a thing kind of hidden...
1: Mm -hmm. uh no not at all i mean like yeah no my dad like uh my dad had this square in the kitchen basically we jokingly called it his grid uh because uh just the way the kitchen tiles are or whatever and there was this like one square in the corner of the kitchen where basically he would just like lean on the kitchen counter and hang out by himself in the kitchen and drink beer like Mm -hmm. all night and uh so yeah the depression was pretty pretty obvious you know because you know drinking alone sitting there by himself like contemplating things i guess i don't Mm -hmm. know uh yeah no some of the childhood some of my childhood was a little dark i guess i don't
0: know i mean i i tend to find that's relatively common with a a lot of artists that i respect and i think that that has to do with identifying with my own childhood. So, I know your dad passed away relatively recently. Yeah. Uh, Health problems or? Cancer. Cancer, okay. Wow.
1: Yeah, which kind of came sort of a little bit out of nowhere. Um, I mean, I guess not because my dad was a smoker and a drinker, but uh, like he had quit smoking cigarettes years ago and he only smoked a pipe which he thought you know I'm not inhaling it all the way but then of course he ends up with throat cancer right. because he's not inhaling it all the way he's just rolling it around in the back of his mouth so there's a difference in how you um, but he had had a triple bypass heart surgery and then after that was essentially in the best shape of his life that he had been since he was like in the marines Okay. You know what I'm saying? So and then out of nowhere he gets cancer and it kinda of wiped him out within like two years. Huh. It was, yeah. Uh did not really expect that in any way, shape or form really. Uh like getting it was a total like all of us were just like what kind of thing, you know? Um his side of the family also uh his father died when he was seven. He had a brain aneurysm, and then my grandmother died on his side um, when I was so little that I don't really remember her. I actually remember being at her funeral and then not knowing till years later what funeral I was at, or, you know, like I didn't really understand why we were there or whatever kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Um, My grandma also didn't really want anything to do with grandkids. From what I understand, so, uh, yeah, we didn't, weren't close or anything. Interesting, I guess. So, um, so
0: generally not like a very tightly knit family. No, my, at least my, extended wise.
1: My dad's fam oh, on both sides. There's all kinds of craziness. So on my mom, on my dad's side, he has three had three brothers. Um, all of them but one are dead now, and the one that's still alive is the one who lived life most unhealthily, as odd as that is. Um, but all three brothers never moved out of the house they were raised in
0: Interesting.
1: until they died. Or Mark was forced to leave because they reposed the house after the other uncles died. Okay, uh, And we never saw them. Hmm. like They were never invited to anything. Or maybe they were at one point, but they never came. So, um, And then I have an aunt, too who's still alive and I haven't seen her in years and she lives like around the corner from my mom. Oh wow. Um, but yeah, so we don't, I don't, I just either side, there's been no closeness. Like my mom, my mom, on my mom's side, my mom and my grandmother, uh, had like massive falling out when I was like a little kid. So we stopped seeing her for a while. Um, so like, um, and then, like, on my mom's side, she has one brother named LeBron who also, when I was a kid, was killed in a trucker accident. He was a trucker. Um, and then his kids both became, like, a total mess, like, drug addicts, essentially. Um, I mean, they both actually have reigned it in now. They both have kids and families, and they're actually the only cousins I have that I give a shit about, honestly. Um, and then she had another brother named Dick, uh, which his name is the most fitting name a man could ever have because he is a fucking asshole. Um, but he has like money, um, and our family just, their family just doesn't talk to us, mm-hmm. basically. So, basically, it's either everyone's dead or complete estrangement on both sides. Interesting. So now I basically have my mom and my brother, and that's it. All right. And, and
0: you and your brother live with, with your dad, correct?
1: We did, yeah. Okay. Um, towards the end, like we both had to. Move back in to kind of, like, help take care of him and stuff, right. and then, um, and then financially, we both, we inherited the house or whatever, so we actually both live together still in that house with, uh, and my girlfriend lives there, um, but we, uh, because we inherited the house, and then, you know, it was, like, financial situations because of already having lived there and stuff, so now we're kind of both stuck there for a while, so, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds for that.
0: (laughs) Um, Growing up, were you were you very close to either of your parents? Or it sounds like, given their relationship with their family, I don't know how that transferred into Um, relationship with
1: them. We were very close. Um, Like I'm, I'm, I'm still close with my mom to a degree, but like, we're just very different people. Mm-hmm. So, um, I was, honestly, I was, I was closer with my mom or oh, my dad. Um, but my dad, like I said, my dad was less like a dad and more like that super cool uncle that gets you shit faced for the first time.
0: Okay. I mean, uh, I, I can't relate to that. But right. Just, I know what you're getting at.
1: Right. Like he, he was more like your buddy than right. he was your dad. Like, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was weird. And then I had a stepdad also who was, like, a fucking redneck that I couldn't stand. So, mm. yeah, I don't know. It was weird. <laughs> yeah. My mom and dad actually um, stayed fairly good friends, though, like, even though they divorced. Mm-hmm. And I, my dad always had a lot of, like, pent-up anger, I think, and frustration about... I don't know if it was necessarily about the divorce specifically or if it was just, like, Catholic guilt. Okay. Um because of the divorce and like you know feeling like a failure or whatever, mm-hmm. um, totally forgot what I was. Were you raised Catholic? Uh, no, uh, my dad actually would often say in my childhood that he was a born again pagan, um, okay. and my mom, I don't know what my mom was. My mom was like a p- Protestant, I think, or something like that. Okay. Um But uh, their whole thing was that they didn't really want to like force religion on us interesting and then uh, so we basically had like no religion mm-hmm. um, and which is the funny thing is is that now as an adult my mom like gets weirdly religious with me at times and I'm just like you missed that boat man <laughs> right, know, like, right. like I can't relate to any of that there's no fucking guy in the sky that... <laughs>
0: that's that's interesting though because especially like in rural America you
1: know religion is sort of just a given I think you know. it was more my dad's move than my than my mom's. Okay. Um, because my dad my dad was pretty like anti, you know, a lot of things. He was uh, super left wing, uh uh kind of progressive thinking to a degree, I guess or whatever. Okay. Um I mean he's the one that made me weird, you know? I was <laughs> I was about to
0: ask do you think you inherited that kinda of like
1: sort of anti-social not not in a negative way but like um actually i think i inherited anti-socialism from him in a negative way to be completely honest with you uh because it it actually it it, like it sucks and it's now like a thing that i don't even know how to get out of
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, i actually find a lot of difficulty like having conversations with people i don't know um, I just get like really quickly nervous,
0: like actual, like I, I'm in anti I, am in like anti-society, but you're, you're oh. speaking anti-social, the act, like the concept of being anti-social yeah, as a like personality my, trait. Yeah.
1: Like my, my dad would basically, um, like my dad worked at GM and so essentially we should have been better off than we were, mm-hmm. but because of working at GM and, uh, their strong union at the time, uh, he basically only worked like three days a week. Like always, right? Uh, and was super like, fuck the man, fuck the system, fuck this place, right? Uh, kind of in hindsight, maybe not totally realizing that that was, you know, providing his entire lifestyle was the fact that he worked at that place, you know? Right. Um, which I think is somewhat funny, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, um, he basically would just like work, go home, drink, go to sleep, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like. Uh, he, he kind of okay. hated people, to be really honest with you. Like, until he retired, he retired and then he got a job, like a bullshit half-assed part-time job as a janitor um, at uh, a nature center near okay. our house called Allwood Nature Center or whatever. And that was, like, like, a massive life-changer for him because, like, he was basically where he had been working in a factory where he was surrounded by, like, people who were essentially all Republicans. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then he starts working at this, like, nature center where everyone's obviously super left. And, like, it was like he somehow finally realized, like, oh, I don't hate people. I just hate a lot of people. Right. You know? And, uh, and that was actually, like, to be honest with you, like, kind of difficult for me because, like, that happened, like, he, let's see, I, I graduated high school roughly a few years, he, he, he retired a few years after I graduated high school. Okay. So, like, here I am just, like, a ball of negativity, like, just like my dad, you know, and then, like, he all of a sudden kind of stops being a ball of negativity, and it was like, I don't know how to relate to you, mm. you know, so that was, like, a little weird for a while, uh... How old was your dad when when he
0: had you? It's I mean he re- retired shortly after you graduated high school.
1: Uh, well, he got uh, GM has thirty years ha- had at the time thirty years and out. Oh, okay. So okay. you could work thirty years, then at thirty years you retired, you're done. Most people who got that job would stay, you know, and not retire because mm-hmm. of the money. My dad was like thirty years, I'm fucking out because he was like anti everything, you know. what right. I mean? Um, and he got the job. The day after he turned eighteen, like wow. the day he turned eighteen, he went down, and the guy was like, "Come back tomorrow. There's no way I can. I just I don't feel right like hiring you, mm-hmm. on your birthday." He's like, right. "Go home, come back tomorrow." Okay.
0: So, and you you had mentioned he had some military service. Was that, in uh, yeah, in between that or in the uh, midst of
1: it? In the midst of it, I think. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm yeah, I'm pretty sure he worked at GM, got sent. Uh, to Vietnam, came back and, you know, just worked his GM again. Okay, so he went to Vietnam. Wow. He did go to Vietnam. Um, everything about his Vietnam experience, as far as we know, is sketchy. Like, like he never really shared anything about that with us, ever. Okay. Uh, he, I mean, he would tell us, like, party stories. Like, you know, him and his buddies getting drunk, or like, you know, dumb things that they did when on their off time or stuff. But, like, I really don't know whether or not he actually saw action or... or He always kind of claimed to me and my brother that he didn't. But he also seemed like a classic case of of PTSD. Right. You know, like, to an extreme. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. But then again, like, you know, I didn't know him before that. So the PTSD thing could have been from losing his dad at six.
0: Right. You know I mean?
1: Because, like, you know... That's probably actually another big reason why I was raised with no religion because when my dad was six, his dad died. And, you know, as a six-year-old, it makes you question God. Like, why the fuck would you do this to me? Right. You know, right. so I guess that's probably why we didn't get really raised with religion. Like, my yeah, mom would try a little sense. bit here and there, but as far as my dad went, it was like, you know, who cares?
0: So what? at what age do you think you – Kind of became aware that you weren't, you weren't going to go down the same path that the majority of people end up going down, or was that something even later in life you realized? I mean, I, I felt really after oddly enough after my parents divorced, uh, it it shook the faith that I had felt, and then it kind of led me towards, you know, like questioning things and feeling like you know what I don't. I don't think that I trust this mm-hmm. and it led to a sense of distrust about pretty much everything else. And, you know, the, the doors open towards, you know, the, the, uh, the underground and the alternative and, 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 what have you, the countercultural So, you know, I, I, I always say like, you know, sometime between 13 and 15, I realized that I wasn't going to really be the way that I thought I was going to be when I was a kid, which is, Funny because I was raised such so, so strangely to begin with. I wasn't gonna be fitting in either way.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I honestly, um, I kind of feel like I've always had like a, a total sense of like disillusionment from from the American dream because, I mean, like as a kid, my parents, like I said, my parents were divorced before. I I don't remember. I have no memory of them being like a couple
0: okay
1: um because they were divorced and lived in separate places and both had to have jobs because of that um like going to school was always really weird because like our grandparents would have to like pick us up or drop us off one of them would pick us up from the grandparents then we'd get dropped off at the other so like we were just getting carted around all over the place and uh that kind of sucked like you know cause it, it, it's like a displacement sort of situation you know you don't
0: absolutely
1: I don't know it was, it was weird um um yeah, I don't know like uh i guess probably probably when I first started to really like interact with other people <laughs> you know I, yeah like yeah. like school like right like uh i remember being i like one of my earliest memories is just being of kind- being in kindergarten and just just feeling really awkward and having to be around all these kids and not you know, I don't know. So I don't know. I think maybe I, maybe I always knew i was screwed, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then like you know, uh, at a, at a, see, third grade or something like that. My mom got married to my stepdad, and we moved out to the middle of nowhere.
0: Right. And so
1: I got yanked out of the city that I'd lived in up until that point. Which I mean, I wasn't super old, but you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my my mom. And my grandparents kind of had that weird falling out. So there was, like, estrangement there. And then, you know, I went from seeing my dad, like, all the time to seeing him only on weekends and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we moved out to the sticks, where, like, I had gone to Catholic school uh, mm-hmm. while I was in Dayton originally. And then when, when we actually moved, uh, I started going to a public school out in the sticks, And I legitimately didn't learn a fucking thing until third grade. Yeah, because you know we ahead, the, the difference. Yeah, yeah the, like, like I was like ready to do cursive, and they were like, "Oh, we don't, we don't get to that <laughs> for a while or whatever." Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, I don't really actually know how I got lucky enough to go to Catholic school. Not that it was luck because of Catholic school being fun or anything, right. but you know, it's the private the schools a better. Edgy. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, I I don't really know how that worked out. Maybe that was some kind of pre. Divorce thing I don't know My parents never explain things Very yeah. well We don't We don't Talk like that Okay So I don't <laughs> There's a lot of gaps And stuff Where I don't really know right. Why Why certain things happened And
0: Right Yeah
1: um, But yeah Like I don't know I just um, That was really awkward Getting pulled out to the sticks mm-hmm. And then like Like everybody <laughs> Everybody just Seems so fucking stupid to me And I was in like Third grade And <laughs> You know? Right. Because I don't know, like just the difference between the how laid back it is in the country and, and the way people are raised out there and the way it is in the city. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's not that even like Dayton's like a big city or anything right. like that, but, but it's but there's like, still a marked
0: difference. It's pretty massively the two.
1: different, yeah. yeah. And like I just felt like all these all the kids were like real stupid and like uh, they were just all like kind of hillbilly ish and like it just I didn't understand. <laughs> and right. so, like, um, I don't think I had a friend at that school from third grade to, like, middle school. Whoa. Like, like a friend that I actually would hang out with or anything like yeah.
0: that. Yeah. Did you read a lot when you were a kid? Do you read a lot now?
1: Uh, I actually, um, I have massive, massive dyslexia. Really? Uh, yeah. I, know that. I have insane dyslexia. And there's another thing that they've come up with a name with now, and I can never remember what the name is, uh, which I have, but they didn't diagnose me with it as well back then because they didn't have a name for it. But it's like dyslexia, but it affects you with numbers. Okay. So I have that too. Okay. Which I have that worse, actually. Um, like, I mean, it's not like I can't do math or can't read or can't write because I can, but. Uh, like, when I was a kid, anything that started with the word, with the letters T-H, it was they were all the same word. Okay. So, the, there, there, them, that, all the same word. Okay. Like, I, my brain just couldn't process the difference okay. or whatever. So, it's a lot better now or whatever, but, um, um, I kind of have, like, a little ADD, so, like, it's hard for me to, like, really focus mm-hmm. on reading, like, whole books or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, uh... Magazine articles and comic books and you know whatever and uh, I mean I do re- it's not that I don't read books like no. <laughs> but, uh, I understand like I've I've read every every Bukowski book but right
0: we're um, I mean, talking
1: about that uh but yeah I just I was uh, I kind of always wanted to be like a, a more voracious reader because my dad was always reading when I was a kid okay but uh, just like my brain wouldn't really let me I couldn't focus enough to to like read like whole books unless I like was forced to essentially. Okay.
0: <laughs> no, the, the reason I ask is just cause you know, ten, it seems like when you're a, a bit of a loner as a kid or as a, t- a teenager, as an adult, you tend to find something you sort of uh, escape into. And I know like when I was a kid, as soon as I learned how to read, uh, I realized very quickly I could just escape into whatever I was reading. And that, really helped me when I was trying to avoid acknowledging how weird my my childhood was so it it made it really easy to just delve, dive into reading and, and and then I think when I got older and that kind of wasn't cutting it anymore music was exploit. just as easy to just jump into
1: it was essentially drawing for me really uh yeah my dad was like a, uh uh a painter, a little bit. Uh, he actually used pastels the most. Okay. That was his like medium of choice. Um, and then, my uncle, not uncle, I have like my dad's best friend growing up. We okay. always it was like my uncle Ken, but he's not actually related to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ken was actually always around more than anyone in my actual family. Okay. As far as like ext- extended, uh, and my uncle Ken is a painter, and is. Brilliant. Like it, his work kind of rips off Francis Bacon a little bit. Okay. But if you have the ability to rip off Francis Bacon <laughs> That's <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, so like art was always around. So like uh drawing was kind of my escape or whatever. Okay. I, I find that
0: nowadays I can get lost in images. I used to not be able to do that, like when I was a a kid like I, I could read comic books and and stuff like that, but I didn't. I I was never grabbed the same way like that I was by a written word. But now, like the definitely the images will just I, I can just you know stare off into an image and really get get in my head with it. So that's interesting. Um, I find it interesting that you know you, you're talking about you know you had this kind of physical displacement as you're growing up going between your mom and your dad and uh, you know you're talking about you have like a you know with the with the, the dyslexia and the number issue it's almost like you have a sort of a mental displacement thing going and then you with the ADHD you're you know here 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 and then if I had to put a descriptor on developer I think it would be something along those lines you know it's you know cut up cut up music in general tends to have that feel to it but you know really with with developer you you get that sense that like you're never in one place very long you're moving in a lot of different directions very fast uh when so that was my introduction to 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 let's talk about developer a little bit so you did tooth teeth collection for a little while uh when did you start what 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 ended up taking you from teeth collection to developer
1: i actually started developer before i stopped teeth collection um because uh teeth collection like i said went through a couple different phases and uh i slowly started to like uh stop using effects and then eventually I stopped using amps and it would just be like, there was like a couple tape decks that had like built-in speakers and then I got to where I stopped using those and then it was entirely acoustic, like using the banjo as the source and all that stuff. Um, and I kind of got to a point with that where I sort of felt like I've painted myself into a corner, like where else am I really going to go with this after it's completely acoustic, you know, like, uh, other than just continue to do, like, free improv stuff, which I do do, I just do with other people. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, yeah, I kind of started to feel like I was painting myself into a corner with it, and then also just, like, um, becoming more friends with, like, all all the harsh guys and everything, and, like, playing shows with, like, a bunch of, like, killer harsh dudes and just being like, man, I want to rock out too. <laughs> kind of, like, you know? like like And uh, so I just started uh, fucking around with it again. And a lot of the ideas I had that I initially used for, for developer, uh, they were things that I had somewhat kind of implemented a little bit in early teeth collection, but, like, I don't think I knew what I was doing well enough okay. to really full-on pull it off. And then also the, the biggest thing was was finding a way to mute things, mm-hmm. and uh, like initially, um, uh, when I, I like got to the point with Teeth Collection where it was all acoustic, and then I didn't have a mixer anymore. Okay. And so when I first started developer, I was using a four track as a mixer, mm-hmm. and then so I would prepare a tape to go like in the four track, and then I would have. The four lines in with like micro cassettes with prepared tapes on it essentially uh and then i actually got to where i started getting like splitter splitters to put in so each each line would have two micro cassettes instead of one mm-hmm. so it was like eight uh instead of four um and i was basically just using the uh the 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 switch to go from like the four track tape to the mute to the line and that's how i started developer was Mm -hmm. using those as the as the mutes or whatever um and then after footbinder started um the guitar player from footbinder had a friend that worked at some place where he because of working there he could basically get stuff at cost and that's the only reason why i have that big ass mixer (laughs) (laughs) is because i got it for cost through this dude um so then that basically was like okay that opens everything like now I have a a nice mixer with mute buttons and everything yeah so I mean not that it's all mute button I do do other things Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) 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 but yeah that's I mean the mutes is basically how I do a lot of the cuts live right on recording it's tons of different methods but of course live a lot of it's the mute buttons and, and then cutting to specific channels and doing things yeah
0: um was there any reason you chose the name developer
1: um i I remember I, I don't actually remember what initially made me think of the word developer as as a name but basically I just thought it seemed uh like incredibly nondescript it is and uh that's kind of what I wanted like like continuing on with the the whole like I don't use titles and stuff like mm-hmm. that um I just didn't I don't know like it's not that I like I don't I hate titles or anything like that you know like somebody comes up with a really witty title and sometimes that makes you like the track even more because all oh, that titles so good you mm-hmm. know um, but I just kind of like didn't want it to be about that okay like I didn't want it to be about titles and like all oh, that track blah 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 so mean because a lot of people will put things on the track because of the title mm-hmm. you know what I mean and I kind of just didn't want it to have I didn't want it to mean anything you know i just wanted it to be about sound okay uh, yeah, you, yeah
0: i mean that's you've you've stripped any outside influence for someone to be able to consume the product and and how they would feel about it you know i i use titles in my work because i want to evoke a certain image or i want to recall a feeling and then in that kind of i'm i'm trying to manipulate the listener you're trying to keep the listener you're trying to only allow what they're hearing to influence what their reaction will be.
1: That's essentially the idea.
0: Okay. And and yeah, developer is a great, like, nondescript word. I remember before I heard developer, I had heard the name, and I was always thinking of uh there's a a clip of a Microsoft developers conference <laughs> where the guy's like a motivational speaker and he's like Developers, 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 developers. So, before I sat and gave a developer tape a listen, I was like, "It's probably some goofy guy doing like some like corporate power electronics or wall noise," just because like it, it, because of who the label I had saw the tape was on. And then I actually, uh, you know, someone had said it's the guy from Teeth Collection, and I had seen you play it. Uh, Champagne Fest in Cleveland and I was like well that dude played with no amplification whatsoever and it was awesome so I want to hear this and it was not at all what I was expecting (laughs) you know and then it was great it was was, was absolutely wonderful and of course you know it's been a few years now and yeah
1: Um, Uh, the other thing with the name too was like uh, I was kind of thinking of like uh, like film developing or whatever mm -hmm. and also just the idea of like uh, like developer. The name in and of itself kind of like lends to the idea that you can constantly evolve. Mm-hmm. You do because I'm I'm developing. Yeah, of course. I'm not finished yet. Right.
0: <laughs> no, that's, that makes good sense. And now you have like tonight, developer group. You're 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 the maestro for. You're pulling many strings. Uh, you're making mini puppets dance uh, for your your twisted little puppet show here. Uh, this is
1: what the fourth or fifth live one. So it, it might the... be like the sixth. I don't know. Okay. Um, there's a couple in couple happened in Dayton. One happened in Cleveland at that mm-hmm. thing. Uh, a kind of a kind of version happened in Chattanooga recently. And then right. Texas, like, last week. And, okay, so maybe five. Okay, cool.
0: Yeah. What's, how, how, do you, how do you like that? I mean, that's that's so different to, you know, a lot of times when there's a collaboration project, it's like, okay, I'm going to bring this part, and you're going to bring this part, and we're going to mesh it together, and it's going to be this awesome thing. Whereas you're like... You're gonna do what you do. You're gonna do what you do. You're gonna do what you do, and I am going to control how this gets presented.
1: Essentially, yeah. yeah. Uh, what was the actual question? I, I guess just like how how are you enjoying
0: that? Like, are, I, it, are you finding it to be a challenge? Are you finding it to be a, a good time? Like, are you?
1: I find it to be a super good time. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> the way I kind of try to go about it a lot of times is, uh, is when I'm doing it by myself. Whatever. I mean, it's really no different, in all honesty. Other than the fact that I, I'm, I kind of, I guess, I do a little less because I'm mostly just, just cutting everybody in and out. Right. Uh, I do do some, but, uh, well, depending on the set. I mean, sometimes I've actually done a lot, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes I'm. I got like one thing and mm-hmm. you know just to kind of keep it a little simple or whatever um, but I think it works out like if if it, everybody just kind of goes crazy and I just try to keep like as long as there's no deadlines you yeah. know it's interesting and the way I've always tried to attack the mute buttons and stuff the way I think of it is like it's free jazz drumming mm-hmm. and so like my cuts I kind of think of in my head I'm like playing like a like a crazy free jazz drum beat right. in my head with my fingers I'm just tapping it out. Right. And uh so yeah, um I don't know it's worked out really well every time. Um I I think that the key is just to not not do it with anybody who's not super solid. Right. You know, try to have solid people uh involved or whatever. Yes. Yeah.
0: Like a man in a sumo suit. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Like a man (laughs) Yes. Like Peter J. Woods in a sumo suit singing about balls or something, right? He's just yelling about balls.
0: balls? Yeah. 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 That's Yeah. That's a a high note on the podcast. (laughs) So when you were doing teeth collection and you were kind of interacting with the harsh noise scene and data which is huge i mean you got luke and being and uh his brother with diaphragmatic and uh just a lot of heavy hitters yeah um, was that did that scene kind of that scene kind of just grew in while you were participating in the noise scene there was that you know just
1: kind of sprung out of nowhere or did um basically it was a uh... It was sort of continual hard work of a lot of people. Um, I I can't say, I I guess I gained a little bit of clout, like, as teeth collection, like, once I started doing, like, the quiet stuff. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when people would come through, they would, like, request that I play or whatever. So, and then, um,. Jono, who doesn't live there anymore, I don't know if you know Jono. Jono used to be in Tonight Golden Curls. Okay. He does, like, Vaporwave or something now. I don't know. He does, like... Mm -hmm. I I don't know what he does now. Um, He's a solid artist, though. Kind of does... Everything he does is actually kind of a little gold. Okay. Um, And he may or may not have been involved with the people who, like, invented like, Witch House and Vaporwave and things like that. I don't I don't okay. understand any of that shit. But right, yeah. right. Uh, so, Jono and um, his girlfriend at the time, Katie, uh, Annibal, who's from Cannibal and Mandible back in Dayton, mm-hmm. um, uh, the two of them had a house that they called Acid Fever, um, and Luke basically... Well, I think Luke actually moved to Dayton, and they got the house with Luke, so... They had the house acid fever, so it was Luke, Jono, and um, and Katie like brought a lot of people through playing at that house. Um, honestly, at, at uh, and I had done some stuff before that. Uh, Yes Collabs existed before that. Um, Tonight Golden Curls had done a couple tours, so they had whatever I clout. I don't know if that really, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how much. You know, r- literal clout any of us had really, but you know what I'm saying, like uh, things had kind of been happening or whatever, and uh like i honestly from being in like hardcore bands and like running the label and stuff, I was a little burnout by the things start mm-hmm. by the time things started to actually really get rolling in Dayton, mm-hmm. so like I would pay- play the occasional show, but i I honestly missed like a whole bunch of really good shows just by being a curmudgeonly asshole, basically um. But, like, uh, a lot of it had to do with Acid Fever. Um, Luke doing a lot of work as far as bringing a lot of people through. Um, and then the fact that, like, um, as our scene kind of grew, like, everyone that got involved, like, like they're, they're kind of, like, even if they're not, like, heavy hitters outside of our scene, like, we don't have any shitty noise artists in Dayton. Yeah. Like they're all super competent and they're all kind of doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like like Bing does like the kind of harsh noise that he does, which is, you know, sometimes kind of wally and sometimes, you know, whatever. Really super controlled, like brutal ass harsh noise. And then like Katie and, and her husband Andrew do mandible and she does cannibal and he does the vehicle solo and their stuff's like super wacky and kind of like fluxus and dada ish. Mm-hmm. Um and then, like, Sorcerer Torture uh, is, like, weirdo noise core stuff or whatever. And then Dromez just moved here. Um, so now we claim her. Uh, and then, you know, John Madden and Maloney. Uh, everybody everybody in Dayton's pretty damn solid. Like, right. So that's kind of helped as well. Absolutely. Like, uh, you know, people coming through and then mm-hmm. no one really ever has, like, a bad show in Dayton. You know, like... Um, the way that we work the scene is like if if not enough people came out, somebody's gonna figure out a way to get you some extra money. Uh, an odd thing that happens in Dayton that doesn't happen at other places, and I almost kind of feel like it's a little bit of a weird carryover from the hardcore days. But uh, everyone always gets fed. Yeah. You know, like not only do the bands get fed, like everybody gets fed. Mm-hmm. Like there's always like a a full on meal for everyone present, which is yeah. weird. Um, I don't know, our scene's just really tight. And, yeah. and um, I think just the continual efforts of everybody and everybody being really solid and and uh, them having that initial uh, space. And then when that fractured off, Luke started a space. And then eventually when Nate moved to Dayton 2, uh, him and John started Smiles, which Nate doesn't live there anymore, but mm-hmm. Dromez does now. Uh, mm-hmm. So the two of them are running that. And... Um, Dan Downing that I do Rollins underscore Bobby's got the Brick House. And then uh, Stu. Stu hasn't been doing as much lately, uh, but Stu's got uh, the Pungent Dungeon or whatever. Right, right. Uh, and there's actually a couple of venues that are uh, not completely hateful to the idea of us doing some stuff. Okay. Like we have Canal Street Tavern that they've done a few things. Uh, John uh, Maloney is actually somehow related to – Somebody that owns A comedy club in Dayton hmm. That does nothing on like The first couple of days a week So wow. they're just going to let us do Like we're having a Crank Sturgeon show there I saw the, the Right event. Crank Sturgeon and a PCRV In a comedy club Like that's
0: It's, it's strangely fitting
1: Kind of fitting yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah like I don't know I, I just think um, It was just slow And like continual efforts Like people just not backing down
0: yeah. Do you think that that Kind of Tight knittedness kind of attracted you when you were doing like teeth collection and you were like, did you feel like drawn towards
1: those those people? And, um, I was, I quotation marks, I was like a little more established mm-hmm. by the time they they kind of started to do stuff, right? And so they were just automatically pretty inviting because okay. it was just like, uh, um, yeah, so I mean, uh, like I said, my antisocial behavior kind of like kept me from from going to all the shows, and I, I will honestly admit that I do regret it because I miss some shows. That I'm just like, that show happened like I didn't even mm-hmm. know that, you know. Yeah. Um, um. Totally, totally lost my train of thought.
0: That's okay. I was just, I was asking if the the tight-knittedness of the, the scene that kind of came up around uh, Luke and, and uh, what was it called? Acid? Acid fever. Acid fever. Uh, like, if you felt, like, kind of drawn towards that and that kind of influenced the direction you ended up going with developer. And, and um. I guess I was saying that, you know, like, for me, like, when I started being interested in noise and participating in noise how kind and inviting people like Wyatt Howland and and David Russell and Steve Makita how they were just so nice and so like they they made me feel like I was a part of that scene before I had any business being a part of that scene and it it sort of was like it gave me a sense of like well I want to I want to identify with those people in a sense like I, I want people to Hear me perform and say, "Oh, that that dude's from Cleveland. He's he's rep- he represents Cleveland noise." I was saying, I guess, like you know, teeth collection. You know, as 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 you started doing developer, developer also obviously has like a, a more harsh overtones and, and and everything. So I was saying, do you think that that kind of oh. you felt like pulled towards like I, these people are great. I want to I want to produce music that kind of compliments what they're doing in a in a sense.
1: Honestly, I don't think anything about Dayton necessarily influenced me to start doing developer okay. um, uh, cuz like I said, like everyone in Dayton's like pretty diverse. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh for a while, Luke was kind of like the only like harsh guy, you mm-hmm. know, because everybody else was doing like kind of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I don't really think that there was anything about Dayton specifically influenced me to change. It was more touring and and, and playing fests and, and, uh, you know, you hang out with, for three days with a bunch of heads at something like this. And like, you know, (laughs) it just gets you a little itching to, to do some face punching music. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. Um, yeah, I, yeah, uh, and like I said, there was there was kind of already things happening in Dayton, which I, I honestly I think I think that's the reason why Luke chose to move to Dayton was because mm-hmm. we already kind of had some things going on. Okay. Um, and it was real slow moving, like the tight knitted community-ness that we have now wasn't necessarily there originally. Okay. Because it was sort of like grasping at straws to try to like get people to come out. Right. Um, They would mix things up sometimes. I think they had some shows that had some other things going on. uh, And they would kind of try to have, like... I think they tried to have, like, dance parties a little bit sometimes and things like that to, like, just have more people at the shows kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But essentially... Yeah, yeah. I don't... Yeah, I don't think anything... Anything from Dayton specifically made me get harsher, but... Yeah. I don't know.
0: So... 2015 you've you've been developers been prolific at this point you've got dozens of tapes does splits see did you have any cds now that i think about it you're on the hard panning comp i'm on the hard panning
1: cd yeah so
0: so i mean what what's coming up i know we got a big american cut up
1: yeah comp coming out i'm uh okay so i'm working on uh this cut up comp that I think is gonna be two cassettes but it might end up being three I'm not sure it just depends on how easy it is to structure Mm -hmm. um but I basically tried my best to get every single American cut up artist on it um there's a few missing uh like Custodian was supposed to be on it I don't think he's gonna give me a track but I mean Custodian's technically already ended um there's a, there's a small handful of people that I'm I'm kind of basically assuming I'm just not getting anything from. So uh, I should be finishing that or starting to work on putting that all together when I get back from tour. So, yeah, I'm working on that. There's a 7-inch in the work that Brandon Hill's putting out. There's a CD that I just finished and sent to the label guy. Who's putting it out? I guess. Yeah, I haven't really heard back from him since I sent it. Okay. So... For so now, I nobody? just I just maybe won't say the the name just okay. in case he's okay. like you know what, you suck. Well. Uh, so uh, but if but you're there's... listening
0: to this person, you will be a fool for doing that. <laughs> uh, so you got a seven inch coming up on Star Relations.
1: Yeah, uh, a possible CD coming out on a label a label in New York. <coughs> a, just label put a, a label to be determined at a later time. <laughs> uh, and then basically, I'm going to be starting to work on a. Uh, uh, fingers crossed hopeful LP here in the future which the idea is to have a handful of labels in on it kind of in the future I'd honestly kind of like to move more I mean I I love cassettes so I don't think I would ever like stop doing cassettes but I would like to move more into the future of having like slightly more substantial releases like you know you know like vinyl or uh, actual CD or whatever right I don't really know whether or not that actually adds any legitimacy to anything but I mean I think it would make me feel like it added some kind of yeah, legitimacy
0: <laughs> I was having this conversation with, with my partner about you know just it's it's not so much I'm not I don't want to put out a release on, on vinyl or, or pro CD because I feel like other people need to recognize that it's more like I just want to be able to say I did that I've accomplished that and it's just it it symbolizes an a level of accomplishment similar to going to Europe and, and or playing like a big out of out of state or out of country show it's like I did this it's it's, it's more for my own personal pride
1: yeah or uh, sense
0: of accomplishment a
1: lot of that definitely yeah is is, is on in me a well as well like yeah I just uh yeah just just something to make you feel exactly accomplished like you accomplished something yeah. Like that's that's basically kind of like I said I, I don't think I would ever actually stop doing tapes but I, I definitely would like to kind of move more into more substantial releases sometimes I feel like my uh, social skills uh, put a little bit of a wrench in that sometimes because I'm, I'm not really good at kissing anyone's ass I'm not mm-hmm. really good at like talking people up. Uh, Even if I like really, really like an artist, like if I don't know them personally, I'm not going to go out of my way to say, hey, I really like your shit. I wish that I kind of could do that kind of stuff more, but like Mm -hmm. it's just sort of not in me and that doesn't, that's not helpful.
0: I certainly understand. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what sort of this podcast is for me is, is a way to further expound upon people that I do have personal interactions with and kind of say, like, I dig your shit. (laughs) So, you know, developers main project, you've got Rowland's underscore Bobby with Daniel Downing Jr. I mean, you've got a lot of different projects. I I guess I, you can touch on whatever you want to. One of my favorites is a new one, is MP5 that you do with Luke uh, Tandy of Being and it's got a very, like, Japanese harsh noise from like the late '90s feel to it. I love it.
1: Yeah, our our basic goal when we got together was to, was was '90s harsh noise, Japanese harsh noise worship, and uh, so hopefully, uh, hopefully we're we're coming close. You say nailed it. I'll I'll take it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So MP5 schedule wise, uh, me and Luke don't really get to get together. That often, you mm-hmm. know, so that's probably honestly the project that I actually get to do the least out of mm-hmm. all the other things, little extracurriculars that I do.
0: Are you still doing Footbinder?
1: Uh, no. Okay. Um, that basically the it just people didn't, other people didn't have time. Okay. Basically, yeah. so it sort of fell apart. The guitar player uh, from High Rock or from Footbinder still plays bass in High Rockin, mm-hmm. which is pretty killer math rock band. I don't know if you've ever checked them out or anything. They're pretty killer. Uh, they're signed to Sick Room. Um, uh, so yeah, so um, I do Contrarian sometimes with Stu, which is like retarded noise score, basically us being dumb. It's super fun. Rollins underscore Bobby with uh, with Dan, which is it's kind of like developer time-stretched. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's a bit more like, I guess we focus a little bit more on them like textural, textural, but it's still basically the way we do it is still kind of cut up. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's a different manner of it. Um, and also I was recently recorded, I don't know what it's actually going to end up being. Supposedly they want to do an LP, but I'm not sure what's going to happen, but there's enough for an LP and other things, but I recorded in a studio in Kentucky with, uh, Wasteland Jazz Ensemble, uh, but we did this big version of it where, uh, Ed and Brett, uh, the drummer and guitar player from High Rock, and we're both in it, Ryan Jewell also played drums, so there's two drummers, uh, of course the two Johns, uh, myself doing, like, basically, like, harsh noise, like, cut-up stuff, um, and then, and Dylan Poza was also in the band, uh, and Dylan Poza was in, um, my one of my favorite bands of all time brisk lace uh he spent time in flying lutenbacher he was in cheer accident uh so like the fact that he was involved like kind of like was mind-blowing for me um and we recorded uh in the studio in kentucky that's uh jim Marlowe from tropical trashes studio They're like a load records band or whatever so yeah um eventually at some point in time bad stuff's supposed to see the light of day Awesome. I'm not really sure what's going on with any of that. Uh, I'm sort of a resi- residual member, so mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think that's kind of everything that's going on right yeah. now. Yeah.
0: You recently did a zine of your of your artwork, and you did a sort of a collab one for the, the Rollins underscore Bobby tape, or was that a CDR actually? Uh,
1: there's two. Uh, we did two I've different got both zines. Both of
0: them. so now I'm Okay,
1: that's right. We did. We I did the malignant slumber zine, which is uh, the initial one. Uh, is all my stuff, um, but I've kind of decided to turn it into like a compilation or a, an anthology or whatever. For mm-hmm. the, I'm going to do a second issue, possibly more. Um, and you're supposed to be in that. PCRV is supposed to be in that. Luke's supposed to be in that. constrain's supposed to be in it. I feel like I talked to a couple of other people, but. My mind is sort of blanking out a little bit. Uh, uh, circuit wound. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's actually already kind of shaping up. Awesome. Uh, I've haven't asked him yet, but I've been meaning to ask Omar to be in it too because cool. his stuff's so good. Yeah. Omar um, from No Dreams and right, right, uh, Machisma. Yeah, Machisma. <laughs> Are you
0: going to be? So you're doing a little more with the with the print. Yeah, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, I've, I'm. Uh, I'm actually like super, super obsessed with zines, like uh, especially like noiseish zines or like weird music zines. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a collection that goes back from when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have all like all the issues of Muckraker and a bunch of banana fishes and you know yada yada. But uh, I've always really been like super obsessed with zines, uh, especially because like I think you know like if if a tape goes out of print it's not necessarily actually out of print forever because somebody's going to upload it online, you yeah. know, but with a lot of these zines, like they're, they're gone forever, you right. know, because like, yeah, you know, I mean, somebody could actually upload them in, in PDF form or something, but mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't see that happening. Yeah. That,
0: that doesn't happen as um, so often. That's a real labeler. B- somebody, labor I think somebody,
1: them. somebody uploaded like the old issues of spectrum or something, but like, that's like kind of all I've ever seen as far as, uh, if anybody has any links to some PDFs, feel free to send those to me. But uh, so my obsession with zines, like, finally crossed over into me actually doing it. So, Malignant Great. Slumber is the art zine that I did, and I'm going to do a second one, which will be an anthology. And then me and Dan uh, plan on essentially continuing with Roland's underscore Bobby zines, because uh, there's, there's a whole weird backstory to Roland's underscore Bobby. There actually is.
0: A, I mean, with um, Daniel down, yeah, it's
1: with, always a weird. Right, there's bad always story. a weird bad story. Uh, there actually is a Bobby Rollins that lives in Dayton. That's a kid who plays Pokemon and, and Hero Clicks and all that shit. And uh, Dan and his brother are are into Hero Clicks. Naturally, um, his brother James being uh, from Cold Soar and Altars and all that stuff. Um, uh, so they're they're like into like playing Hero Clicks and stuff. So they go they go to this one baseball shop or or, or comic book shop or whatever and uh, he met this kid named Rollins underscore Bobby and like he was playing or his name's Bobby Rollins and he's Mm -hmm. playing around on his phone and this kid just notices that Dan is on Instagram and he goes oh you're on Instagram you should add me my name's Rollins underscore Bobby wow and like Dan just thought this was the funniest interaction and told me about it. And then for whatever reason, I was just like, that has to be our name.
0: Yeah, it sticks.
1: Uh, Roland, uh, Bobby actually knows about us. Um, he's the cutest kid. <laughs> uh, I don't know, it's so funny. Um, there's, like, pictures of him on his Instagram of him, like, with, like, Comic-Con, at Comic-Cons and stuff. Like, it's he's That's just awesome. a cool little kid. Um, yeah, so... Uh, but yeah so we're just like continuing trying to continue super weirdness with that so (laughs) probably more zines to come
0: good good that's great well uh, I think we're getting ready to wrap this up Uh, links emails physical mailing address whatever plugs you want to put preferred products besides coca-cola
1: yeah I'm a big fan of coca-cola it's Rotting my insides. Mm. one step closer to death. I have a bandcamp for factotum and factotum tapes at bandcamp.com dot com. Uh there's a blog spot as well, which is same thing, factotum tapes at blogspot dot com. Yeah, I guess that's basically it as far as I guess like my address. Okay. Whatever. I'd,
0: any parting words? Yeah. Yeah. That's like I think that's a good way to end it. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, great.
1: Hi. You're watching Bull Art. It's great. It's real good.
0: You should watch it more often. Next time to board. Or you're not doing nothing. You should go on Bull Art. It's a blast. Was that a good commercial for you? All right, everybody, that about wraps up the very first episode of Harsh Truths Podcast. Before I get going, I want to say a very special thank you to Jay bullart Without his help, this podcast quite literally wouldn't be here. Um, a while back, my computer crashed, and he had to recover the data for the podcast. So yeah, uh, check out his site vimeo.com/bullart. There are hundreds upon hundreds of live sets from noise acts all over the country, along with lots of other great hardcore punk and metal acts. Uh, he's a tireless documenter of the scene, so definitely check that out, and also support his depressive power electronics project, Blessed Sacrifice. I want to thank Matt for taking the time and being our inaugural guest. I have a lot of interviews already recorded. Uh, we have Wyatt Howland from Skingraft and David Russell in a dual interview. I also did interviews with Jim from Deterge, Omar from No Dreams, Grant from Nod, and Peter J. Woods. We're going to have a lot more in store. Uh, in the meantime, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher harsh truths podcast at gmail.com is the email send any questions concerns or comments my way let me know what you thought of the show thanks again so much for listening and we'll catch you next time
1: of noise interviews right yeah, yeah yeah basically yeah similar style i'm gonna cry
0: you might we're gonna have a heart to heart fuck it, it's so sensitive ah oh, god damn it